Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> well, we're um, getting a little bit of a late start. I apologize. We didn't leave when we should have. But we did remember to set our clocks back, so I'm thankful for that. Or ahead. Back would have been really bad. We would have missed Sunday school and church. All right. Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We do pray for those that are still coming. Um, Pray that they would drive safe and this would be a a blessed morning for us as we gather together to worship you, to love you, to love each other, and by your grace to to be fed, to be challenged, and to be changed. We do pray that as we look again at the topic of biblical counseling, that you would help us, help us to understand what you have said and what you intend for us and how to live in this world among those that desperately need you and those that don't believe in you and those that have perspectives on this topic that differ from our own and even differing opinions and perspectives within our own body. I pray that you'd help us and that you'd be honored and we'd be... um, We'd be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, last week, um, I started out by having a little true and false quiz to try to invoke some hearty discussion and and that achieved the goal. And uh, we had some interesting discussion about... Um, biblical counseling and, and as opposed to secular psychology in certain ways opposed and in certain ways not. And so <clears throat> this morning we're going to do that again, but we're not going to start out that way. <clears throat> what I'd like to do is very quickly review what we looked at in the video last week. We looked at uh, 10 key concepts of biblical counseling. And how many of you remember all 10? Just kidding. How many remember one? (laughs) Greg has the notes. That's cheating. Just a quick review here. Biblical counseling is God-centered, at least if we're being faithful to his word. It's built on sound theology. It confronts sin, hopefully with proper uh, application of sound theology. It confronts sin appropriately and not in some weird and unbalanced way. Um, biblical counseling is Christ-centered and redemptive. It seeks to bring people to Christ, point people to Christ, and ultimately see him change our lives and bring, um, bring help and hope where it's needed. It aims at the heart. It doesn't simply look for behavior modification. It doesn't focus on externals. It focuses on the internal and then... Um, um, waits on God to do the work that only he can do, and that's change the heart. It's based on Scripture. It relies on the Holy Spirit. It's gentle and compassionate. It's not merely for elite professionals. We'll be talking more about that soon, about how and why we believe that um, Every, every Christian is ultimately called and equipped to counsel in some sense. And finally, it's based in the local church. 
That is to say that it's not an institution, it's not a, <clears throat> a profession that's outside of the local church, but it, it, it's to be happening and being cultivated within the local church, which is what we want to do here, which is the whole purpose in going through this series, to help us as a body to learn how to counsel each other biblically and then to um, be prepared for God to bring people into our lives that need counseling. So that was from last week. <clears throat> this week, we're going to watch the video, and here are some of the things that the video touches on. Who's qualified to counsel? How can you prepare to counsel? When does biblical counseling not work? Should we counsel unbelievers? And what's the value of secular psychology? So let's go ahead and watch um, the video, starting off where we left last week, and then we'll have some discussion. Um, so, uh, who is qualified? Who should be doing counseling? We've already said from Romans 15 that to a certain extent, every believer should be applying the scripture and helping others. It's not just the pastors who do this, but all of us should be involved in, in growing in our ability to do this. Uh, I referenced earlier, though, Galatians 6.1, and this further helps us to define who should be counseling. And he says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Uh, the point I would make from that is the qualification to restore people who are struggling with the effects of sin on their souls is not merely academic. Getting a PhD in psychology will not necessarily qualify you for this. Even getting a PhD in theology will not necessarily qualify you for this. He says, you who are spiritual. What does it mean to be spiritual? Well, a few verses earlier, Paul is describing the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. I think what he means by spiritual is those who are characterized by Christ-likeness, those who have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's, it's believers who are mature in Christ. This is not something you can learn in a seminary. It's great to learn truth, but it's, it's people who are qualified. You can look at the qualifications for church officers, of elders and deacons, and people whose, whose lives reflect, though none of us will do it perfectly because only Christ does perfectly, but it is those whose lives reflect godliness and, and the qualities like you have of the fruit of the Spirit. And then also, along with character, uh, you need to know the Bible. Uh, Richard Gans, when after he'd been offered the opportunity, you know, he had, after he'd been trained in psychotherapy, he was offered the opportunity to teach psychology in Christian colleges, which he turned down. He then spoke uh, with another advisor, and, and the advisor said, do you want to be able to say to people, thus says the Lord, when they have a problem? And you better know what the Lord says. And, and that is to be biblically mature, to learn the scriptures. Now, what we're trying to do in this course is to show you how the Bible addresses the kinds of problems people face. This course is not going to fully equip you. This course is going to give you a foundation on which you will build for the rest of your life. You don't need to take this course to do this. Just study the scriptures. The, 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 I think the course will help you to do that. Um, but, but that's what we need. Of course, now, given that you need to be spiritually mature and know the Bible well, this would disqualify unbelievers 
from counseling people with the problems of their soul, especially counseling Christians. And so counseling is the responsibility of all of us. You say, well, that's, that's kind of overwhelming. Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. God will help you. God will help you to grow. Actually, a lot of the benefit of studying biblical counseling is first the first person you want to counsel is yourself. There's so much here in terms of how do I, you know, you're going through these problems. And one reason I can talk about issues of worry and fear and anger and conflict is because I've had to live through all those things. I've, I've dealt with my own sin and continue to deal with my own sin, but I've also seen the power of the Word of God by His Spirit rooted in the gospel in my life and in the lives of the people I'm around. And then some of you will be particularly gifted. In the body, uh, God has, by His Spirit, given different gifts to different people, and, and some have gifts of serving and not speaking, and some have speaking gifts. I think among the speaking gifts is not just preaching publicly to dozens or hundreds, but also people who can sit down one-on-one or two-on-two and open the Word and help people. And, and But those are gifts that can be refined and developed. Uh, our our goal in church, as I said, is that everybody could do some, and there'd be many who could help in, in, in difficult situations, and then you would even have a handful of people in any given church who are really gifted and equipped to uh, help one another. And then ultimately, counseling, caring for souls, is God's work. It's in Christ alone that people have hope. And by the way, that's, that's a great thing about doing things our way. There are people who are humanly speaking in this world, they seem hopeless. There are marriages that seem to be hopeless. Uh, there are people that the psychologists say, you know, you're an alcoholic, you'll always be an alcoholic. You're a pedophile, you'll always be a pedophile. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, like Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 6, when he says, such were you. Yeah, the gospel transforms people. And he does amazing things. And seeing couples who thought their marriage was over and as they humble themselves before God and show gospel grace to one another, marriages are saved. People who have been diagnosed as having some problem that's going to be lifelong, as God works again in their hearts, that the spiritual aspects of the problem are powerfully dealt with. Again, in the power of the Spirit, rooted in the Word, as the deeds of the flesh are suppressed and and mortified and the fruit of the Spirit comes forth. Secular counselors don't get to see that. I think I've got the best job because we have the answers that God has given and we have His Spirit working with the Word. Um, Some people have questions hearing some of this as I've declared the sufficiency of Scripture. Well, is there any value at all to secular psychology? Um, And one argument, well, isn't all truth God's truth? And, and yeah, but all error is the devil's error. That whatever you're getting in terms of worldview, understanding of man, it, it, you need to examine it very, very critically. That every moral teaching, every ethical perspective is rooted in something. And the only safe place for it to be rooted is in the Word of God. The clearest way I can say in terms of the value, I'd say there are two ways it's valued for me. 
One is that the description of the problems that humanity faces that they give can be very useful through the DSM in describing, uh, you know, here's what this kind of person is facing. That's a way in which it can be useful to understand the symptoms. The description of symptoms can be helpful. I think likewise with psychiatry, on a scientific level, if there is a brain disease, if there is a brain problem that's identifiable, it can help to understand what that is. And as a biblical counselor, to help the person who is facing Alzheimer's, trying to live either as a schizophrenic or married to one, understanding physically what's happening there so that I can address from the scriptures the problems of the soul. Those aspects can be helpful as well. And then the other aspect I see that can be helpful is that when you're surrounded by people who are so psychologized, it helps to understand what the concepts are so that when you hear them describing their problem and saying, well, I have this disease. Well, what do you mean by a disease? And they're just describing the fact, well, my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandfather were what I would call drunkards, biblically, alcoholics. That's why I am. Uh, It helps to understand what's wrong about their perspective so we can give them biblical answers, which, by the way, contain far more hope than the diagnosis that they've uh, received. So we're not against everything scientific or everything in the realm of what would be called common grace. Actually, it's interesting, Jay Adams, when he wrote Competent to Counsel, and he's known to be a person who is all about the sufficiency of scriptures, but he says, I do not want to disregard science. I would welcome it as a useful adjunct for the purposes of illustrating, filling in generalizations with specifics, and challenging wrong human interpretations of scripture, thereby forcing the student to restudy the scriptures. However, in the area of psychology, science has largely given way to humanistic philosophy and gross speculation. So, um, there's a place to understand. There's some things we can learn, but it needs to be viewed with great caution because there's an unbiblical worldview that is really as religious as the Bible in its own way. Uh, there can be cases in which outside help may be needed. Um, Jay Adams made the statement that he could deal with a problem if you gave him a doctor, a preacher, and a policeman. And that if you have an organic problem, if there's a body problem, Doctors can help, including psychiatrists. Psychiatrists are medical doctors. There are people who may have brain malfunction going on for whatever reason. We'll talk more about what those reasons could be later, but a brain malfunction going on. And if there is medication or other treatment that could help that person, that's a perfectly valid thing to do if there's a real brain malfunction taking place. Uh, Sometimes people are completely out of control. And they may need to be forcibly restrained. And sometimes actually that would fit together. If a person is in the process of trying to take his own life, you may need to call the police to restrain him when you transfer him to some facility where he can be prevented from doing harm to himself. But for spiritual problems, we need people who shepherd, who use the Bible to help. And um, that's what we're trying to do. Not neglecting Uh, those who can do great things in helping with the body. Uh, Another question that will come up is, well, how do you counsel unbelievers? And the answer is that in one sense, you can't counsel an unbeliever. 
you evangelize an unbeliever. Because a non-Christian, remember what's the goal of biblical counseling? Biblical counseling is that the counselee would live a life that is in conformity with the will of God. They would live a life that's pleasing to God. Well, Romans 8 says the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So I frequently have counselees come in who are unbelievers. I am glad to see them because I love to tell the gospel to unbelievers. But so long as they remain in the flesh, they cannot live lives that are pleasing to God. And so uh, what we seek to do is to share how their big problem is spiritual. It's in relation to God. And it's as they come to Him and, and receive the redemption offered in Christ and through the gospel that will actually lead to addressing the other problem as well. But again, the author of Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Paul says to the Corinthians, without the Spirit it's impossible to understand the things of God. But one of the great things actually about having a biblical counseling ministry that's open outside of just the people in our church is I've had the joy of seeing several counselees over the years who came in as unbelievers and as the Word of God was brought to them, they were converted and so we welcome unbelievers, but in a sense, you, you can't tell an unbeliever how to deal with his spiritual problems until he sees that coming to Christ is the beginning of the solution. And of course, it's the most important thing. He hasn't even identified his big problem. He wants to be happy, and we need to tell him, no, what you need is to be right with God. That needs to be the focal point, and thanks be to God that there is a way to be right with God. There's a way to be reconciled to God through the gospel. Then someone may ask, well, does biblical counseling ever fail? Well, it depends on what you mean by failing. Um, we have people come whose lives are rapidly transformed by the grace of God to the glory of God. We have some people who change very slowly. We have some people who come once and they realize what we're talking about and they leave. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the counselor failed. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, and Jesus gave him counsel, sell all you have and follow me. And he went. the rich young ruler did not receive that counsel. He went away sad. God counseled Cain when he was upset about his offering, uh, not being accepted, warned him about his anger. But Cain went ahead and rejected God's counsel to humble himself, and he killed his brother out of jealousy. And so our job is to be faithful, not necessarily successful in every case. And as you counsel and you work with people, you're going to see different results over time. Sometimes it might be discouraging because you're dealing with three people at once who just aren't doing very well, and you, you keep persisting, hoping for God the Spirit to break through. And uh, sometimes you see tremendous things happening. But our job is not to change hearts. That's God's job. Our job is to faithfully present the Word and trust Him to bring about the transformation. And then we'll... How can, how can I be better prepared to counsel others? Um, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure both salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. So he says, First, watch over yourself as you... I hope you continue in this course. Uh, you're, you're going to be confronting yourself where you need to grow, where you need to go in your understanding of the gospel, the practice of 
gospel implications, showing grace, dealing with the issues you're dealing with. Counsel yourself. Pray that God will work in your life. Grow spiritually. Work on your issues of of being biblically qualified to help others. And then learn. Persist. I would encourage you to take this for credit. Go through the process of of certification and, and, and caring for people through IBCD and care and discipleship, even to go on to NANC. Just like in, in college, you take a course and audit it, and you kind of sit and listen, it helps you a little bit. But if you do the work, you'll learn more. And then hone your gifts as you work with people and, and just seek to use the Scriptures rooted in the Gospel in every conversation you have. So, in conclusion, what is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling says that God has given us in His Word what we need to help people with their spiritual, with their soul problems. We don't need psychology to inform us how to help people. Psychology has errors which are contrary to the Bible, at least in its secular expression. What we want to do is to know the Bible, to become experts in Scripture as we learn to apply it to ourselves and others. And as we continue in the following sessions, we're going to give some more background into how God works in changing people, into the theology that is the undergirding of our counseling, a methodology of, of counseling, and then how we apply the Bible to particular problems. And I pray that God would use this through your attentiveness and His Spirit to grow in these things. All right. So, these are not questions, these are statements, and they're designed intentionally to help us think. And so, let's just go through this, and as we do, hopefully it'll generate some discussion that'll be helpful. True or false? It is sinful to go to a psychologist. What do you think? That's false. We're not saying that everything that a psychologist can do is uh, wrong and, and hurtful and unbiblical. As he said in different ways, we're saying that we need to recognize that in large, secular psychology comes from a worldview. Not entirely, not wholesale, but large portions of it. So we need to be listening and thinking about what we're hearing as we go to anybody, really. I mean, if you go to a biblical counselor, should your antennae be up to make sure that they're telling you what is consistent with the Bible? Yeah, you should be. And that would be true if you go to a medical doctor or a chiropractor or anybody else that's going to give you... um, Advice, help. Mental illness is really just a sin problem. True or false? That's false. Can mental illness be in some way related to sin? Absolutely, it can be. Um, Mental illness often comes from habitual lifestyle that leads to mental illness. Not necessarily, not always, but it can. And how about this? What if you know somebody 
that has some kind of a mental illness um, problem, and that mental illness then, combining with their sin nature, tempts them to sin. Could that happen? Could someone be living with an ongoing weakness in their body and in their mind that because of that weakness, then they have a particular disposition toward a kind of a temptation? If you have um, a mental mental illness that leads you to um, a lot of depression, can that depression then lead you to sin? Absolutely, it can. So these things are integrated. So we're not saying that there's no sin issue, but we're also not saying that just because you have uh, a mental illness issue in your life that it's, it's automatically because of some sin on your part. No, we're not saying that. Um, true or false, medicating for mental and emotional problems is wrong. Okay, that's also false. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this in more detail through the weeks and mo- uh, months we go through this series however long we go through it. But um, there are, the body is a duplex. You have a physical and a spiritual part to you, a material and an immaterial part to you. And when, you're, when the organic material part of you is suffering, it often can be helped through medication. True or false, when counseling Integrating secular psychology and the Bible is the best of both worlds. True or false? This question becomes a little bit more nuanced. Some of you might be sitting there saying, well, I can kind of see it both ways. Yeah. In this case, we're going to say false because if by this statement we mean that you can't really help people unless you take into account the various views of secular psychology, we would say that that's false. There are many, many things that people we come into contact with or dealing with that what they really need to hear is what the Lord has said to them in his word. Um, I'm just going to pause there for a minute and see if you want to talk about that. Daniel. Uh, I would agree mostly to the extent of um, you don't need to mix psychology with the Bible in order to get good things out of it. Um, and th- I would say there's some practical things that might be nice to learn from psychology. I wouldn't necessarily say it's necessary, but it might be nice. Um, for something I wanted to touch on that's kind of tied to this is um, it's really easy to just be a bad counselor <laughs> in general. Um, an apprehension to go to a biblical counselor can easily be, well, they're just going to tell me I'm doing wrong and I need to know how, like, I already know I'm doing wrong. How do I get out of doing wrong? You know, I don't just need to be told I'm doing wrong. And then that's the end, which I wouldn't say that would be necessarily most biblical counselors even, but that can be an aspect that people are afraid of, you know? So, um, like he said in the last session, we need to have words of grace as well as we're, we're leading. Um, and sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent. Um, but in terms of, um, like even even we talked about some of this um, on Thursday with with at the Johnson's group, um, and uh, like 
there, there might be some good practical things of helping somebody with um, like PTSD or some sort of thing where they, they have a hard time coping with certain stuff. I, I guess coping is not the right word, but um, getting through life. And there might be some practical stuff you can find maybe in psychology or different things, but that's not, even if you can help them with that, that doesn't help all the spiritual problems. That's not where you go for the spiritual problems and you still need to solve those. Um, and psychology can't really do that. Um, so, okay, good. Thank you. Anybody else? Greg. Uh, in the video, he pointed out starting with the DSM to <clears throat> get a list of the things going on and stuff and pinpoint that down and narrow things down. And also, he said, as a society, we're pretty secularized in, in psychological terminology and so forth. So that could be a starting point to identify a problem and then swing into biblical counseling from there. Okay. All right. True or false, every Christian is competent to counsel anybody in any circumstance. What do we mean when we say competent to counsel? Jan? I think this one has a lot of nuance to it, too. Because um, I think he said in the video, we're, we're competent to counsel. We, In a sense, every Christian has everything they need to share the hope that's in Christ um, and all that. But he also said not everybody's going to be able to deal with every situation that may come through, that they're... In, in a single church, there will be those that are really qualified and gifted um, and might could, you know, um, fit that description. But then maybe some others of us are just a little bit towards the beginning of the spectrum um, and can handle just simple things. Sure. So there's issues of spiritual maturity and uh, skill in dealing with certain kinds of situations. Um, when I was in high school and as a young adult, I saw a number of situations where a very needy young man would come along and there'd be a very loving, kind, and rescuing young lady who would want to help that young man. And it probably wasn't the best person to be helping him, right? Um, that can be those kinds of things like that can be problematic. Who should who's the best fit, right? And and two in that I'm thinking those of us that are s- simplistic in our ability maybe um, it is true that if I'm speaking to someone who let's say is in a um, a failing marriage um, and they're just really wrestling and I don't have experience there and I don't maybe don't feel qualified or competent but that doesn't mean that I don't have anything to share that doesn't mean that I can't in that moment in the you know what's been termed the, the aisle ministry on a Sunday um, remind them of the truth that you know that God has given them everything they need that they you know just I can remind them of the truth but I may not have that skill to give them everything and help them to to actually use and apply that truth 
Our goal is that everyone at Coast will realize this and start counseling each other. True or false? <clears throat> I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> Well, false in the sense that what we're not saying is that everybody should get equipped so we can all go around looking and saying, aha, I'm going to come fix you, you know. Um, There's a fear, I think, among us that, wait, do we really want to do this? Do we want everybody to be going around looking at everyone else saying, "Um, you've got a problem and I can help you with it, you know. Uh, a spirit of criticism among us? Um, no, that's not what we're saying. But there is a sense in which we are saying that we want to equip ourselves to be able to counsel when God brings someone along. True or false? Our goal is that we will each first learn to counsel ourselves from the Bible. He's He's been saying that, and certainly that's what we're saying. And you know, some, some of us might be thinking, so what's new about this? Is this really any different than what we've been talking about here for decades, you know? Well, no, not really. Not really any different. It's just that we're wanting to get more, we're, gonna wanna, we're wanting to narrow in on how do you do that? This is, we've been saying, I think Earl talked about this when we, before we started the series, what we're talking about here is discipleship. This biblical counseling series, it is about discipleship. We're wanting to teach ourselves how to disciple one another, but in some very specific ways. Let's just think about this for a minute. Um, Think about our body right now, what people are, kind of life situations people are going through. Do we know anybody that's facing serious medical crises in their life? We do. We have a number of people that are. In fact, during our sharing time this morning, we're going to focus on three people in our body that are, are significantly suffering with health issues. We're going to pray for them. Do you think that there's a place for those people to be helped by a medical professional? Yeah, we think so. We hope so. We hope that they will be helped. But is the medical issue that they're facing the only issue in their life? Is it? Is it the biggest issue in their life? Kind of depends on how you look at it. It seems like it is because we really don't want this person to suffer or even die. But we also know that biblically, outwardly, we are wasting away. And we're going to die. It's appointed unto man once to die. But inwardly, we're being renewed daily. That's the biblical counseling side of it. Could God heal Somebody that's suffering physically? Yeah, he could, instantly. He could have prevented it from ever even happening. But if God allows real suffering to come into our lives, we know that it's for a reason. So then are we prepared as a body to come alongside of believers and say, I'm praying for you that you'll be healed, that God will strengthen you and restore you to health. But until that happens, how are you doing with Christ? How's this processing for you emotionally, spiritually? Are you struggling, you know? And are we prepared to counsel that person or the relatives, the parents, the children of people that are suffering? That's our goal, is to help us 
to learn how to do that, to do it better. So that's true. Any discussion on that? What are your thoughts? I mean, could the, th- could the same kind of thing be said for somebody that you know that's going through some, some kind of mental illness? Do you know anybody that's been diagnosed with something like schizophrenia or bipolar, manic depressive, they used to call it, um, um, autism, somewhere on the spectrum. Do you know anybody with a child that's somewhere on the spectrum? All of us know people like this, Right. Does that mean that you're going to be the medical professional that's going to come alongside and help them know what to do with their autistic child? No, that's not what you're called to. Not, not likely unless you have that kind of training. But do those people have a need to be helped to know how to process that and how to ultimately turn that into the glory of God in their life? They do. And that's what we're called to. Our goal is that we will learn to counsel ourselves from the Bible so that we can see God's agenda and how it's better than our own agenda. Because after all, isn't that, isn't that really what the issue is in almost everything in our lives? Whether it's physical, mental issues, um, financial issues, relational issues, Things aren't going the way you want them to on the small micro scale or on the huge scale. Think about Stephen right now. His life is not going the way he planned it for it for it to go. He's been through a lot for the last few years, and now this. By God's grace, Stephen's applying the word and he's seeing he's even though he can't see it all, he can't he doesn't have all the answers to why this is happening to him. Um, God's doing something. God's agenda is at work in Stephen's life. And biblical counseling is coming alongside of people who are in crisis and say, saying, let's see what God has to say about this. To look to him for strength, patience, and discernment in suffering and weakness. Could God heal you? Could God change your financial situation? Could God fix those broken relationships? He, he can. He might. But he might not. At least not now, not in the way you want it to. Like Earl has reminded us, uh, sometimes we find ourselves in an unplanned place at an unplanned pace or something like that, Earl. Sometimes what we need is biblical counseling to point us to Christ so that we can endure. So that we can even have joy in the midst of horrific sorrow. And to see God demonstrate his faithfulness. What, how would you counsel an aging parent who's facing the onset of dementia? Or like I think about my own dad, who's now really has not a whole lot left to look forward to in terms of 
um, his health prospect except chronic pain that's just being controlled by opioids. He loves the Lord. <clears throat> he would love to be serving, but he it's difficult even to get out of bed now. He can only be up for a couple hours a day. How can God's faithfulness be demonstrated in that kind of weakness, that kind of pain, chronic, ongoing, relentless pain, night and day? I think there's an opportunity for biblical counseling there. Absolutely there is. And maybe God's calling me as his son to be one of the persons that's counseling him biblically, just speaking the truth to him in love. But if we don't really even know what to say, if, if, our, if our perspective is not fine-tuned to what God is saying in his word, what God has said in his word about God's agenda for people who are in crisis, then what we tend to do is to recoil. We go, that is so horrible. I, don't even, I wouldn't even know what to say to that person. So we tend to just turn away and we want to talk about surface things and not go deep. But we need to be able to. We need to be able to stay right in there with people who are suffering, who are in, who are in crisis or who are in trauma and speak the truth to them. And we want to help others to do the same. That's what this, this course is about. It's, it's about helping you, helping us, because we're learning too along with you as we study this material, to do this so we can, we can uh, help others. So that's our goal. Comments or questions? This is the end of our quiz. We just have one more thing we want to look at but I don't want to rush on if you guys want to talk about any of that Daniel um, I think it's really good um, to be able to counsel one another and um, we all go through problems uh, even if in little things in little ways um, that we don't always see um, or even if we kind of see we don't know what to do about it and we need somebody else to come alongside us and um, even just n- not even, but to listen and um, be able to encourage and here's what scripture says um, to help build each other up and um, even if it's not full on discipleship in terms of, oh, we're getting together every week or every, once a month and talking about these things, but even if it's just I mean, we want that, but if it's just a Sunday afternoon conversation where oh, how you doing in this area? Are you struggling? Or um, or just encouraging in ways you know somebody needs it. Um, we we do that somewhat already, but even having more tools to be able to do that and um, something that um, I've been hearing a lot as I've discussed as I've talked about this with people is um, being Bible literate will help you in almost any circumstance. So it's not we want to read for ourselves, but we also want to read to be able to help and share with others. Because um, if you're Bible literate, you'll be able to know more about these many issues, if not any issue, um, to help encourage. And um, and if you're talking about it with other people too, you can be sharpening. Oh, I didn't see that that way, and I can, you can, or I don't understand this passage. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling on several ways, but no, that's very good. I I agree with you heartily, brother. Scott, um, like we were saying, how um, there's a lot of 
things that we're learning that um, seem very similar and, and we already know, you know. Um, and, and I think one of those things is um, when, you, when the point is brought up about counseling ourselves, uh, I think when I, as I heard that, I just thought, oh, yeah, you know, we need to be, that's how we become counselors is to grow in biblical counseling for ourselves and everything. But um, when you mentioned your father, and um, I was thinking about my father who's now, who's passed away years ago, but uh, he was someone that I really tried to counsel and uh, I felt like he just had walls and barriers that I, he wasn't going to let me in through. And, and so I just, you know, gave up. But I see more now. I feel like what we're getting into is something very important for us because if we can't grow um, biblically in dealing with our own lives, um, then how can we counsel others? I mean, we shouldn't even be thinking about how we can counsel anybody else. It's the log and the splinter thing. But, I mean, it's such a big deal. I want to grasp that much better. I need to be going into this like, yes, this isn't for me right now to look at other people. This is me to look at me, you know. That's so true. Um, When you read your Bible... Do you find yourself asking questions of the word that turn to, you know, questions of, for yourself about what is this counsel? How is this counseling me? Um, is this giving me some kind of an instruction here that's applicable to the choices I have to make today or the kind of thing that I'm dealing with now? This is, uh, it's particularly, I find it to be particularly challenging and important to do, like when you're reading through the Psalms, when a person who's writing, often David, sometimes others, is struggling with some t- some horrific life situation that they've gone through or that they're facing. And they're talking about a mixture of you know, discouraging situations and uh, hopeful situations. I mean, look, in the middle of my of my struggle, where's my hope? Is there any hope here at all? And then... Usually it gets to the point, yeah, there is hope. My hope is in the Lord. And that, and then here's what that looks like. And here's why I can hope in the Lord. This is the kind of thing that the Lord has promised to me. This is how he's proven himself in the past to others and even to me. And so there's this kind of like this discussion going on with yourself where you're preaching to yourself as you're reading the word. You're thinking, wow, is that true for me too? Could I say what David just said there? So that's that kind of wrestling that we need to be doing with the word. And that's why... This whole series is built on this idea that the Bible is the sole and sufficient authority in counseling. Um, one of the last things that Jim Neuheiser said in the video this morning, he said, um, we don't need psychology to help us know how to help people. And those are the kind of statements that sometimes gets made in this series that people's hackles go up on the back of their neck and they're saying, well, wait a minute. Now, I had this issue in my life and I went to a, a, a Christian psychologist and you know, he told me to do this and to do that and he, you know, he gave me this, this information and it was helpful to me. So how can you say <clears throat> that we don't need psychology? Well, we're going to work through that. Actually, next week Jackson is going to help us to look at the issue of what do we mean by um, the value or the non-value of secular psychology and he's going to break that apart for us more. I think it's going to be helpful. But 
we are not saying that there's no help to be found in secular psychology. We're, we're, saying, we're not saying that there's nothing that they bring to the table that can be helpful and useful. What we are saying is that ultimately any wisdom of man doesn't truly change the heart. A doctor, a medical doctor with his training can give you advice and medication that can literally change your body. That's how God ordered the world to be. If you're hungry, you put food in your body and it helps. If you're thirsty, you put water in your body and it helps. And if your body's lacking certain kind of minerals and other things, you can put those things in and it helps. And you can take things out that are bad like cancer and it helps. That's all physical. What we're talking about is the heart, the internal the part of you that's never going to die. In fact, the most important part of you, because this stuff is going to die. It's going to go into the ground and become dust. It really, it doesn't matter that much. <laughs> In the grand scheme of things, eternally, this stuff is not that important. Now, do you want to be healthy? Yes, you do, and you should try. But what really matters is the heart. And what, what this series is saying is that only God the creator of the human soul is the one that can ultimately help the human soul. And, and he has put in his word all that we need to have heart change, which ultimately affects behavioral change. Not, not just tricks and gimmicks, not just behavior modification through um, uh, coping techniques. So look at some of these scriptures. Let's just think these through. Let it soak in as we, as we finish this morning. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Really? Do you believe that? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But wait a minute. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about my my compulsion, my obsessive compulsive disorder. Where does that come from? Where does an obsessive compulsive disorder come from? It can be triggered by certain chemical things, but in the end it's a it's a volitional cognitive choice that we make for how we're going to respond even to physical weakness. The Bible says that it has everything that we need ultimately to be righteous in other words to make right choices do you believe that that's the challenge for us jan dr laura hendrickson i was having a conversation with her once um and she was trained in psychology i think she was even a psychiatrist but but who then became a strictly biblical counselor and and it was fascinating to me and this helped me to put these two things together, especially since you're talking about habits, compulsions, because it feels very physical. Um, But she said, if we apply the doctrine of God being sovereign, and if he says that there is nothing that can overpower you, that God can't overpower, then, then we have to believe that and apply that to those compulsions that are rising up in us and she said and that's that's the definition of a compulsion or a habit is to make you feel powerless in the face of it but we have to take scripture and put that over the top and say god's given me everything i need um i'm strong 
you know, when, when I'm in him, I can do all things through Christ. And she just, that's for me, that was a real good example of what it means to be a biblical counselor in the face of a very real, maybe mental, emotional, physical, um, thing, compulsion. Yeah. It's a good example. God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He's granted us all things. What's that? What's the, what's the, uh, the media, the medium through which that comes to us? The knowledge of him. The more we know and understand the mind of God, the more than we're able to live a life that's godly and for his glory. Including the nitty-gritty stuff like compulsions and um, lust and weakness that lead you to temptation. There's all kinds of weaknesses that can come into your body that can then tempt you to have a wrong response. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about that there's nothing to that physical weakness that mental weakness, that chemical, neurological weakness, it's, it could ve- be very real and might even be rooted in something that needs medical or chemical treatment. But what about the spiritual side of it? That's something that your doctor can't help you with, but the Bible can. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The problem with only seeing our physical weaknesses as being just a physical issue is that it masks the real issue. And if we rush to get treated chemically, medically, and overlook what God is doing through that to deal with our soul, we have shortchanged God's work in our life. I am not saying you shouldn't go to the doctor. I'm not saying you shouldn't get treated medically, chemically. I'm saying, we're saying, that if in doing that, you overlook this, what God is doing, to deal with the thoughts and the intentions of your heart, you're missing out on the most important part of that necessary trial. So we want to become skilled as a body to counsel each other with the word of God so that God will have his full effect in us through weakness, through suffering, through trials. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. We do pray that you'd help us, equip us, and make us more like Jesus. Make us um, effective counselors, loving, caring, devoted, sacrificial brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We pray that you do your work only, only the, the work that only you can do to change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.